something that mothers know a lot more about than I do. Because it's about giving birth. Our passage is from John 16, verses 20 to 22. Where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. This is, by the way, spoken the night before his crucifixion. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Spoken to his disciples. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. So here in this passage, Jesus, who never bore a child, but created the whole concept of birth, teaches us about the process of giving birth and about the difficulty that a woman goes through giving birth, and the joy that comes when the birth has been completed. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, when you first read that, it sounds like she's really sad that her baby's arriving. That's not what it means. It means that she's gripped with pain. That's what the sorrow means here. It doesn't mean sadness. It means pain. She definitely wants to have the baby. In fact, she can't wait to have the baby. Trust me. She has sorrow because she's gone into labor, and that labor is very painful. The Bible tells us this over and over again about the pain of labor. In fact, it becomes sort of the the model that the Bible gives us for pain. In uh, Isaiah 21, verse 3. Therefore my loins are filled with anguish, the prophet says. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. So it's sort of like the emblem, the model in the Bible. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. He's so much in pain that he can't see or hear. Jeremiah 6.24, our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. So when things get really bad and your pain is over the top, then it's time to say it's like a woman in labor. Jeremiah 4.31, for I heard a cry as of a woman in labor. Anguish as of one giving birth to her first child. The cry of the daughter of Zion gasping for breath, stretching out her hands. Woe is me! I am fainting before murderers. Now that doesn't mean, again, that someone's just broken into her 
room with a machine gun pointing at her. The point is she feels like this is killing her. She's crying out. And if you've been around women who are in labor, modesty goes out the window, politeness goes out the window, not wanting to impose on others goes out the window. All these become suddenly irrelevant. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, Jesus says, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. By the way, as I said, I've never had a baby before. Never born a baby, delivered a baby. But I have consulted with someone who has born more babies than I think anyone else in the congregation. Who happens to be my wife. Make sure that everything I say is within the realms of uh, typical experience. And yes, as Jesus says here, a dramatic change occurs from the time of the anguish to the time after the birth. And uh, I've seen it myself. Uh, My dear wife has uh, had nine deliveries. And the contrast between the way she is during the labor and delivery and the way she is right after when that baby is placed upon her chest, I can't begin to describe In fact, it sort of was amazing to me that her emotions could move so fast from one to the other. What seemed insurmountable a few minutes ago, all of a sudden, seems insignificant. And what seemed unbearable, all of a sudden, seems unimportant. She felt like at one moment she was going to die... Overwhelmed with her pain and then suddenly the pain isn't even on her mind anymore. She's as happy and content and delighted as she can be. But the pain of labor and delivery do not turn into joy. It's important for us to recognize this. They do not turn into joy because suddenly the pain stops. It's not because of the relief of the pain. There still is pain. It's not as strong, but there still is pain. Trust me. At least that's what she says. Don't trust me because I... Anyway, you know what I mean. But the reason for the change is the baby. As Jesus said. It's not the fact that she's not feeling any more pain. It's because of the joy of the baby. Now, it wasn't always like this. This pain was imposed upon woman when God cursed the world as a result of sin. He said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth bearing to the woman. With pain you will give birth to children. And of course, this was the pattern all the way across the board. Things that were going to be wonderful 
and easy or at least not painful, now God imposed pain as a part of it. Same thing with a man and his toils. Now it would be toilsome. That's the way God cursed the world. The creation, as Romans 8.20 says, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But the next verse goes on to give us good news that the futility, that the pain, that the, the process, the agonizing process has a purpose. And it is, brings about something wonderful and good. You see, labor and delivery are used in the Bible a lot of times as an illustration. Which helps us to see that it's not just a man's book. You know, a lot of people say the Bible is just a man's book, but it's not. It's written for everyone, and, and uh, it has a lot more about women in many ways than it does about men. As I said, labor pains are like the very symbol of pain in the Bible. But it's much more than just a model of pain. It's also a model of how pain suddenly turns to joy. And that's why Jesus uses it here in John 16 as an illustration of how the disciples would experience his death and then his resurrection. And that's exactly what happened. Their agony over his death and his arrest suddenly was turned immediately into joy when they realized that he had been, that he was risen. In Matthew 24, Jesus uses the same thing. To explain this time what might happen, what is going to happen in the world. You see, the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, Tell us, what will be the sign of your coming? Obviously, there's coming again. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You know, how do we know when it's, you've been talking about this great day coming, how do we know when it's going to come? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. So the same image is used to describe the turmoil that the earth must go through before that great day of deliverance. Romans 8 picks up on this to explain that how we're in the middle of this age of labor pains now. You might be familiar with the groaning verses of Romans 8. The whole creation is groaning. We ourselves groan inwardly. Well, the groaning in Romans 8 is clearly the groaning of childbirth. Romans 8, 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits. I'm sorry. Romans 8, 22, the whole creation has been groaning together 
in the pains of childbirth until now. And we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this, in the Bible, this age that we're living in is spoken of as an age of labor. People in the world, you see, they can see this. They can see the pain. They can see the anguish. They don't understand what it's about, though. It just seems like meaningless pain to them. But we understand it. We understand that this is a birth and it's with a, coming with a glorious end. The age to come is described as the age of this great birth and this new life. Romans 8, 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. This means that for the believer, pain is understood to some degree. It's, we understand that it's purposeful, that it's temporary. Our pain is described as labor pains. And these labor pains are leading up to a great moment, a great birth event. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If you know that things are going to get better in the morning, it makes the night much more bearable. The key is realizing that the pain isn't just random empty, meaningless pain. That's the way the world sees it. But we understand that pain is not empty. It's producing a harvest of joy and fruitfulness. Not just preceding the blessing, not just leading to the blessing, but in some way bringing about the blessing. Just as Christ's redemption and his triumph was brought about through the pain of the cross. It couldn't have happened without that. You see, a woman's pain in childbirth is a God-given aid to help us understand and endure the pain of this world with hope and with joy. Labor pains are not just the very model of pain. They're the model of the reason for pain. The purpose of pain, the joy, and even the joy of pain. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 126. I mention this frequently. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves. It's obvious, this verse even, though it's not about labor pains and delivery, it's a, it uses the farming analogy, but it, the point is exactly the same. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. When you're in tears, you need to remember that this isn't the time of reaping. It's the time of sowing. It's the season of toil, not the season of abundance. 
the season of reaping abundance is coming. But right now we have to resist the temptation to give up. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of well-doing. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. When a woman is in labor, she sometimes feels like giving up. One day, my wife had been in labor so long and had worked so hard that she kept saying, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And one of the nurses grabbed her face and said, Stop it! Stop it! You see, and by the way, that doesn't work so well when husbands do it. So Joel, others... It's good for nurses. Let the nurse do it. Better for you just to say positive things. I've tried it. Anyway, I didn't do the what she did, but that kind of thing. You see, in that kind of situation, the baby's life is in limbo. The baby's life, in some way, is dependent upon the woman fighting for her baby's life. She can't just decide to stop. No matter how she feels, even if she feels like she's going to die, she's got to rally herself and fight for her baby. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. You could reword that to say, those who labor in tears shall give birth with shouts of joy. It's the same principle. It's not enough just to endure, to survive. You've got to sow, you've got to toil, you've got to love, you've got to be faithful. You've got to carry your cross, as Jesus said. You've got to seek the kingdom. You've got to walk in obedience and faith. You've got to believe that the seeds that you're sowing, while, even while you're weeping are going to yield a harvest of unspeakable joy. This is true in every area of our lives. It's true in parenting, big time. It's true in church life. It's true in work life. It's true in your house. It's true in every area. You see, there's a great day coming. A great birth coming. It's referred to in Romans 8, 19 as the revealing of the sons of God. And of course, um, that's sons and daughters of God. And in Romans 8, 28, it's called the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In 8, 23, it's referred to as our adoption as sons. And the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8, 18 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Not worthy to be compared. It's not just that the bad things will stop. It's not just that the things that are bad now are going to improve and get better. The degree of today's bad 
is tiny compared to the degree of tomorrow's good. It will make the worst of earth's sufferings seem light and momentary. That's what it's going to be like on the last day. We don't see it yet, but we know it's coming. Right now it's uncomfortable. Right now we ache. And there's probably more discomfort to endure. Before the great day of deliverance. But our discomfort now is sweetened by our knowledge that this day is coming. That soon our joy will overwhelm our pain. But sadly, some don't believe in it. They believe in their pain, but they don't believe that anything could be so good as to overwhelm the pain that we're experiencing now. They don't believe in something transcendently good. They only believe in the pain and the pleasure of the here and now. The labor pains, therefore, don't make sense to them. The pain presses them down and they have nothing to lift them up, nothing to look forward to. As believers, we also feel the pain. We get the emptiness. We experience the brokenness. We understand the sinfulness. But we know a secret that God has told us. We know what the labor pains lead to. And so we wait. We wait in groaning and even in weeping, but we wait in hope. We've stopped thinking of this life as a place where our deepest dreams, our deepest desires could ever be satisfied. We don't put our hope in our house. We don't put our hope in our career. We don't put our hope in another person. We don't even put our hope in our family or in our church or in our country. Any woman who gets pregnant knows that it's not going to be easy. And so we we don't expect things are going to just go along smoothly and painlessly. But we know that there's something much bigger than our experiences of discomfort. We know that there's a day of joy and triumph coming. Romans 8.25, we hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. The Christian life here on earth is a life of unfulfilled longing. Because the thing which will ultimately fulfill us, we must wait for. We do not have it now. We have it partially. We get glimpses of it. And God sprinkles our lives with all kinds of encouragements and tastes of the precious promises of reality that are coming. But we cannot have it in its fullness now. We can only wait for it. We can only wait in pain. We can only wait Jesus said, as we read this morning, blessed are those who mourn, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That doesn't sound like fun. How can those poor folks ever be called blessed? Because those who mourn will be, future tense, will be comforted. Those who are poor will be rich. Those who are lowly will be lifted up. Their lives will be filled with joy and dancing. Christian contentment, you see, isn't having everything you want now. It's being patient, waiting for it, knowing that you will have everything you want. And God is with us in the pain. He doesn't just sit up in heaven with his arms crossed, telling us to be happy even though there's nothing to be happy about. He is with us. You know, many wives, many women complain that their husbands lack sympathy while they're in labor. If your wife ever says, I don't think I can do it, let me tell you what to say. This is the what you say. Yes, you can. I'm right here and we're going to get through this together. Let me tell you what not to say. Well, what are your options? <laughs> That's what I said. And that was a long time ago and I still hear about it. But, but the, no matter, even if a husband lacks compassion, the Lord Jesus never lacks compassion. He's been here in our place of pain. Jesus wept. Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus bore a burden on the cross far beyond anything we'll ever bear. Because he himself has suffered in trial, he is able to help those who are being tried. Hebrews 2.18 You see, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted and tried as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 You know, there's an old song that I love. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I've, I knew this song when I was a little kid, even long before I became a Christian. And yet, so, you know, after all the songs that I learned before I became a Christian... After I became a Christian, I had to figure out what they were about. And some of them was really wonderful. But it took me a long time to figure this song out and what it, what it means. I mean, it's obvious. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen that he's in a lot of trouble. And, you know, trouble that no one else can, can uh, compare. But the, the strange thing is it, it ends with, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. It's like... What? 
You know, somebody says, I'm going through things worse than you could ever imagine. Glory, hallelujah. That's not usually what you hear. And it took me a long time to figure this out. And finally, I realized this is not a song of complaint. It is not a song of self-pity. It is a song to Jesus because he alone knows what I'm going through. Glory, hallelujah. Because even if no one else gets it, even if no one else is there by your side saying, I've been through this before, I can help you. Jesus gets it. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. We are grateful for all of you here who have born children. Your children are especially grateful for the fact that they are alive because of you. And if you don't realize that you're alive because of your mom, it's a good day to begin realizing that. But we are grateful for what you endured and how you rallied, how you fought for your child, not just there in the delivery, but many, many, many days, months, years after that, as you sought to love and raise and nurture and protect your child. And all of us are grateful for our mothers who, who uh, even though imperfect, who loved us, and the, the Lord used them to raise us and provide for us and uh, show us love to some extent or another, even though they failed. But what a blessing that we have a Savior who did even more than a mother does, all of us. And he endured, and because of what he endured, we are born again. And that is something even higher than, than the gratitude that we owe to our mothers. And it's something that not, not just children, but everyone can be grateful for. He is our Redeemer. And let us now come to the table where we celebrate what he did where we remember what he endured and offer him our thanks and welcome him anew in afresh into our hearts and lives.